Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool Blood Red podcast with me, Ian Doyle. It's a special podcast this week because we're looking at the anniversary two years of Jurgen Klopp in charge at Liverpool, looking at uh, the pros and cons, what he's done right, what he's done wrong. Joining me today, a very special guest. He is with us. It's our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, James Pearce. Hi, Jay. Hello. Also with me is the LFC editor, Andrew Kelly. Hi, Andy. Ian, you okay? And established Echo reporter, Paul Gorse. Established? Yes, established. Your first, your He's a member of the establishment. He is, yes, he is now, yeah. yeah he Hello, is. Ian. He is. Now, we, what's been happening is this week we've been asking on the Liverpool Echo website for your views of what you've made of Jurgen Klopp's first two years in charge. There's been contrasting views, it's uh, fair to say. One of them from Russ Pool, which is quite a prevalent view in which he says, this is his own words, uh, two years of Jurgen in all a thrilling experience. I believe he's done a wonderful job so far in writing a lot of the wrongs that befell Brendan Rodgers in the Liverpool hot seat. But the one problem still remains, the defence. Does this mean he should lose his job? Of course not. But does it mean he should continue working harder on the issue? Of course. But over the two years as our manager, he's improved the mood, the football and the squad. And I wouldn't change him for the world. Now, would you change Jurgen Klopp for the world, James Pearce? <laughs> um, I think that was pretty well put by Russ, actually. Um, no, I think you know, obviously there's a, a great deal of frustration around at the moment because um, you know, points-wise it hasn't been the start of the season everyone wanted um but i think i think he's right when you look at the bigger picture you look at where liverpool were when klopp came in 2 years ago and where they're at now you know if you you ask yourself you know are liverpool in a in a stronger position is is, is it a a better club than undoubtedly um you know it's been far from plain sailing but um you know he's got liverpool back amongst europe's elite you know as russ says there you know the the style of football is immensely pleasing on the eye um it's you know the one thing that's eluded him so far is uh, is, is success and obviously you know as he when you say success do you mean success in, in terms, terms of, of trophies trophy? yeah yeah I mean obviously getting back in the Champions League I think made last season his first full season a success but yeah a Liverpool manager will always been be defined by by trophies he had you know two two major finals and a semi final uh, where Liverpool couldn't get over the line um, but yeah I think there's I think you know, it was, there was massive expectations when Klopp came in, wasn't there? I think you know, it was always going to be very difficult for him to to live up to that. But you know, I think I think when you look at um, the impact he's made, you know, I, I I think Liverpool were very lucky to get him two years ago, and I I still think they're lucky to have him now. I mean, Andy Russ says here that Jurgen Klopp has improved the mood, the football, and the squad. Yeah, I mean, I I think I mean we got uh, I put put this piece up on the site yesterday morning, and we've been flooded with responses and. And you know, I've picked out a few to bring in with us to the pod, but there's there's bonds more, and, and they'll go up on the website over the next couple of days. Uh, you know, a selection of them for and against Klopp. But Russ's comments that, that that line that he's improved the football, the mood, and the squad. I mean, I don't think you can argue with all three of those. You can argue whether he could have improved each of them even more, but you can you can argue that you know. We're certainly witnessing, in general, a better brand of football. Certainly, I go along Tanfield and I, you know, talk to other people. Uh, I think Neil Mellor said it in his Echo column uh, a couple of weeks back. That, you know, Generally, you go to Anfield expecting to be entertained. Um, and that's not always the case, uh, or, or hasn't always been the case. Um, of course, there's certain games you go, oh, that's going to be tight in terms of getting the result. They're going to sit back, everything else. But normally, you expect Liverpool to play an attacking brand of football. I think generally the mood around the club uh, was considerably lifted and has been. I think we're just now into a period perhaps where we're, see, we're seeing us the most serious 
dampening off the mood because there's probably been two real challenges for Klopp since he came in. One was January, wasn't it? And the other one has been this time. I think in January, there were perhaps more mitigating circumstances for what went wrong in January. We needed to replace Mane and have, have an option, and, and, and we didn't. Uh, uh, and obviously there was a couple of cup games where we made a lot of changes and everything else. Perhaps this time, I think people are, have been less forgiven, and there's, there's been a lot of criticism building. And you know, they're, they're, we'll hear from from critics who have been uh, coming on. Um, but I think the mood has generally improved, uh, and the squad, I think, undoubtedly, if you you know, there's been people who've been moved on. Some some occasions we've got good money for them, but generally people you think aren't quite good enough for Liverpool. And most of the people in the squad at the moment, and I know there'll be exceptions, and people will be listening to this. Shouting out several names, probably you could probably guess who they are, but I think generally most of the players there are either established that they're good enough for Liverpool or haven't yet had enough chances to say that they're not. Now, Paul Russ also says that it's been a thrilling experience. Now, watching Liverpool, have you been thrilled for the most part? I know Andy said that he he goes to Anfield now expecting to be entertained. Do you do you feel the same way when you ever you watch Liverpool? I, I do, yeah. I think you know when you watch Liverpool now, you you, you see them and, and you you kind of expect them to blow teams away or, or at least try to in the first you know thirty minutes first half, and some games they could be three or four up or you know um, five or six. But by the time you know it's, it's sixty seventy minutes. Remember a couple of games last season. The hall always always sticks out in my mind. Absolutely more than from start to finish, and you know it was just a, a great performance. And Arsenal um, back in August as well. Those are the, the kind of performances that Klopp has tried to make a norm. Um, obviously, it, it's not quite working like that at the moment. But the way he he sets his team up and, and the way he, he likes to press on the front foot and attack, that is you know what Liverpool fans want, and it's what it's what all fans want really. It's it's it, you know it's, it's an enjoyment thing at the end of the day, isn't it? And, and entertainment. Spectacle and and that's what Klopp's trying to do. So I think at the moment, you know, it, it's not as great as it could be, but it's not as bad as, as people are saying. That there's only one defeat really in the Premier League. Um, okay, they're out the Carabao Cup, which you know, the what cup? Sorry, the Carabao Cup, the, the League Cup, I the think League we call Cup. It. Yeah, <laughs> um, which you know isn't the isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, but uh, generally, Liverpool fans should consider themselves very lucky that they've got uh, an elite manager. Uh, question for everybody then. Referring to thrilling football, is this the most entertaining Liverpool team you've ever seen? And I don't just mean in terms, if you think of the 2013-14 team, that was largely down to two, three or four players combining all the time. This is more as a team. Do you think this is the most well, entertaining team well, that you've I, seen? I mean, I didn't. I started going to the match in 1990, so that's, you know, what's that, 27 years? I'm a, it is good match. But, yeah, but in terms of the, the, the most thrilling Liverpool team I've watched, and this wasn't first-hand, but so I was watching these mostly on the telly. But I think Barnes, Beardsley, Aldridge. Was that more thrilling because they won? Well, I mean, that's discuss. But I don't get anything particularly thrilling out of losing three two or, or four three. Do you know what I mean? I'd rather win. And I think a lot of people would regard that um, 88 team yeah. as one of the one of the very best. And uh, um, so, as I say, I didn't uh, have a chance. Uh, being a young whippersnapper to see uh, to see that you were, team. You were never a young <laughs> well, I was fifteen, <laughs> so um, so I didn't get the chance to to, to see that team live. But um, in in my match going time, you know they they are certainly at their best up there. Do they that twenty thirteen fourteen team once they hit their strides in the second half of the season, were were a phenomenal. You know, I still 
I, st- I don't think I've ever had as as much joy on the cop as as when we were that game against Arsenal when we were four yeah, up in twenty yeah. minutes. And I remember just grabbing uh, Steve on the uh, chap called Steve just <laughs> beside me on the cop, and you know just, we were both <laughs> we were both just screaming into each other's face. Neither of us could quite believe it. And that, you, know, you, you could have imagined that game finishing any because, score. Because the best bit of that game was the one that didn't go in. The, 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 the Suarez shot on the volley. Yeah, so, so it's right up there. But I mean, there has been you know, significant. There are other times when we, we, we have been equally thrilled, I think. James, you're 40 soon, so you've seen quite a bit <laughs> of Liverpool teams in the past. I mean, is this the most thrilling team, or would you say you know, the 2014 team? Uh, yeah, I, I draw parallels with. 13, 14, because I, I think, I think, I think it's you know you speak to a lot of people about that team and they say well it was all down to Luis Suarez and I'm not, I'm not uh, of that opinion to be honest. I think yeah of course Suarez was a big part of that, but it was, it was the team. You know Andy mentioned that Arsenal game. Well that wasn't that wasn't a one man show. You know, that was. It was it was Suarez. It was Stoke. Martin Suarez, Scott, it was, Martin Scott, Scott, Suarez, was didn't, Suarez didn't score. Did it he, was, like? uh, yeah, you know, and obviously the the front two plus Raheem Sterling. The influence that Steven Gerrard still had on that team, um, so it does. It does remind me of that actually, in terms of the, um, you know, I think probably. It's funny because the people, the people who sorry, people who say it was a one-man job, Suarez, then also similar people who go, yeah, we lost it when um, when Henderson got got um, got sent <laughs> yeah, off yeah. and it wasn't available which is, which for the last of course couple. Was Victor Moses' fault, but we won't go into that <laughs> yeah. again. So, so it would appear that Henderson had a, you know had his own impact as well. Yeah, but I I definitely put the style down as one of. Klopp's, you know, biggest well, achievements in, in the well, last two years. What's interesting about this is that when obviously the two big seasons in recent past that they've won stuff, two thousand and one and two thousand and five, even though the finals certainly in Europe one was three all, the other one was five four. You'd imagine that'd be quite entertaining. But you're right, they weren't particularly anywhere near as entertaining as these teams were they that you've mentioned already. I mean, I'd like to also mention, I think before I ask Paul the question, uh, at the eighty eight team for me is probably the most exciting, but. An honourable mention for the 95-96 team as well because I thought they, when they had their moments, partly because, again, defensively, see, this is when defensively they weren't particularly brilliant, that they'd have to outscore teams that become quite exciting. What, sort of with Mike Manon? Yeah, with the, yeah, Fowler, 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 yeah Fowler, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, Liverpool have had a lot of good teams, but if you, there's been certain areas where they've been, it's been more about being solid, hasn't it? You know, Particularly, the you, well, that's you, how you win a, stuff. a lot that's of that's what's been proven. That's how you win stuff. Absolutely. Well, it, it, it's it's one success, one successful way of winning stuff. But there are you wouldn't say Barcelona won stuff by being solid. They won stuff by by being a fantastic passing football team. But they were, and they got away with it by having a a dog at the back in terms of um, um, Pool, uh, who was absolutely magnificent for them. And and then obviously formed his partnership with um, PK as well, and and they sort of and and they sort of got away with that. So there's different ways of, of skinning a cat, and Klopp's way is to go onto as you say is to, is to go onto the front foot, and um, and that that is maybe a harder way to you know we'll see the contrast very soon when Mourinho, who's clearly built his team on making them hard to beat. And then trying to add on the other bits around the edge, and that's an it's an equally valid way of doing it, but it's not the way Klopp's trying to do it. Just to point out, we do not advocate that you skin cats. <laughs> another way, Paul. Same question to you. Then, what has been the most entertaining team uh, that, during your time watching Liverpool? Would it be this team? Would it be 2014? Would it be the 2010-11 uh, Royal Trump team? 
<laughs> no, I wouldn't quite say them, no. Um, well, I'm a little bit younger than Andy, so um, I can't really remember <laughs> Beardsley and Aldridge and Barnes and the pump, unfortunately. Um, I'd, I'd still say that the 13-14 team's got a long way to go before the beating, because look at the team who they were beating. You went to Old Trafford and, and played them off the park and beat them 3-0. Could have been 4-5-6, and you know, imagine if it was. We'd, we'd still be talking about that to this day. All right, you know, it was a Manchester United team that were a bit dishevelled and the David Moyes, but the pool still went there and, you know, made, made it their own and they haven't done that too often in my lifetime. Um, Arsenal, again, you know, they're always seen as, as neck-and-neck rivals, really, and they absolutely battered them at Anfield that day. And that, that entire season, I think they, they scored over 100 goals in all competitions. Um, so I think Klopp's team probably got a little bit to do before they, they go near that in terms of an, an attacking setup, but... I just love the way Klopp sets Liverpool up. You know, he's got Salah and Mane and Firmino, and then he just thinks I'll pl- plunk Coutinho in there as well, and we'll just have a go and, and see how it ends up. Okay, defensive issues are there, and they, they probably will remain there for a good while yet. But um, in terms of entertainment, Liverpool are great to watch. Now that leads us nicely onto the the next statement. From obviously, there's been one or two fans who've been you know critical of Jurgen Klopp. John Ferris says, When I heard the news of Klopp coming to Liverpool, I thought, great manager, but I've been left slightly disappointed with his refusal to accept some of Liverpool's players are simply not good enough. We've had numerous occasions to strengthen the defence and forward line, but his refusal to do so has left me wondering if he is the right man. Now, this reminds me of a story, actually, that Jurgen Klopp says about his final season at Dortmund, where, if you remember, they started quite poorly, because I think Lewandowski had left, or, or he was injured, or he wasn't there for whatever reason. And they were in like the relegation zone, weren't they? Christmas, they were yeah. near the bottom. But when it came to the winter break, he was they had the party, if you remember, and he made sure that all the players turned up. And he was delighted. They go, "Why are you all delighted?" He says, "Well, because now I can fix my problem. I know exactly what I need to do." And I think he went into the transfer market and bought a couple of players and turned it around. And I think they may have qualified for for Europe. They certainly finished in the top half of. I think they won the cup as well, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did. They did. They did got a lot the cup final and got beat. They did a lot yeah. better in the second half of the season than the first. Now that is an example of what perhaps we're seeing from Klopp here where his refusal to he knows exactly what he wants he's not going to compromise on it and of course I'm going to mention the two names Naby Keita Virgil van Dijk Keita we know is coming next year van Dijk possibly in January but this goes back to what John Ferris has said we've had numerous occasions to strengthen the defence and forward line but his refusal to do so has left him wondering, wondering if he's the right man now is that a sign of a manager who knows exactly what he wants and won't compromise or a manager who, as we've mentioned several times in the past, is kind of, you know, putting at threat the short term for his long term view. Um, I think I think it comes down to just his absolute commitment to improve players. I think a lot of that is, you know, it's, it's been a topic of debate so far this season. I mean, is he too trusting in in players? And it is a difficult one because you know when he took over, you'd, you'd find you'd find a lot of Liverpool fans would say. Lallana had been a massive disappointment. You know, what what a waste of money that was. And then suddenly Klopp works with him, and then you know now we're saying we can't wait to see Lallana back in a Liverpool shirt because we've missed him so much. Emre Chan, you know, how you think how much you know he struggled um, before Klopp came in. Um, Firmino, even you know, I know it was it was early days, obviously still, but you know he he looked a mile off until Klopp got got hold of him. You look at the development of the young players as well. So. It's, I think it's a valid criticism that you know is he too trusting because you know the, the two the, well, the, the one glaring one is obviously centre back you know not buying a centre back this summer questions have been put to him numerous times 
you know, why wasn't there a plan B to, to Van Dijk? Him absolutely adamant that they looked at all other options. Um, you know, I was there when a few names were put to him the other week, and he was asked about Sanchez for my and obviously Koulibaly and Napoli, and and said, you know, we watched these players 500 million times. You know, they they weren't right for us, and I think that's where some people are frustrated. But I think it, you know, and then you could say the same thing about attacking wise, not you know, not following the lead of say, you know, what United did or Chelsea did this summer by spending massive money on a on a top class striker. But it does just come back to his faith in players and also his faith in his own ability to Im- to improve the ones that he's already got. I mean, you have to bear in mind, Chelsea and United had to buy frontline strikers because one of them had got injured and the other one had a massive So I think you could say the same. I think there would be a strong argument that Liverpool had to do the same as well. When, you know, I think you know everyone knew that you know, with obviously Ings having basically spent two years out injured with Sturridge's injury issues, um, Solanke so unproven. I think you still would have found you know, a lot of Liverpool... It's not just hindsight now, is it? I think a lot of Liverpool fans were saying in the summer that they were crying out for, for, for reinforcements in terms of <coughs> a central attacker. I mean, Andy, what have you made of Jurgen Klopp's um, recruitment? Is he, as James said, just completely committed to improving both the squad and the individuals? Yeah, he is. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's been... A, I think we mentioned earlier that he's, he's undoubtedly improved the squad. He's attracted players that potentially, and some, this was a point made by several of the, the fans who responded, uh, that he's attracted people to the club who potentially wouldn't have come otherwise. And, um, you know, hopefully Virgil van Dijk might be one of them, uh, as we're talking about. But I agree with James is that there is an argument that's, you know, that potentially says he has shown being too loyal to, uh, I think Klopp actually addressed this completely didn't he Pearson yeah. I think his phrase was if uh, if being too loyal is a crime then I'll, I'll, I'll be guilty of it every time or I'm happy to be guilty of it something like that so you know and that's because he believes he can improve fans of course you know development takes more time and this, that was an issue that was raised by by some of the people who who, who, who We'll come to this in a minute, but first yeah. I'll mention to, to Paul, I mean, what have you made of Klopp's recruitment and whether he is too loyal on certain players? Or does he have to be too loyal because of his the way he's recruiting? Uh, to an extent, but you know, <clears throat> there's only so many times you can try to polish a, a, a you-know-what. Um, <laughs> you know, the left-back situation baffles me, to be honest. He's brought in Andy Robinson for, for £10 million and, and Robertson isn't even getting in the squad some weeks, and, and Alberto Moreno is, you know... It's as if he, he's never spent the entirety of last season kicking his heels while Milner's played left back. Um, that, that's a strange one for me. I think Loris Carrius isn't up to it. Um, I think I'm struggling to, to think of a save he's made. To be honest, and he's been here. He made a few at Southampton in the League Cup. To be fair to him, he had a decent game there. Which again, Liverpool away, lost. Liverpool lost away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know there are hits and misses, but that that's the case with with any manager. You look at Sadio Mane and, and Mohamed Salah, and they're the the, the big pluses aren't they? The, the clock can sort of hang his hat on those, but I think um, I agree with John Aldridge when he said a few months back that Liverpool didn't need one defender in the summer; they needed two. Um, Virgil Van Dijk was the obvious one, and, and you know you certainly would have needed another one for my money. Well, you said that, didn't you, James? You were banging that particular drum all summer about two centre backs, weren't you? Yeah, because just because I think you know you couldn't expect too much of Joe Gomez. With you know with with the injuries he's had the last couple of years and you know the fact that I think Clavan is only ever going to be a a squad player and 
the fact that Matip and Lovren have, have had their injury issues as well. I think you only have to look at the amount of football they missed last season. I think you know, a couple of things on recruitment. One, I'd say in general, the recruitment, the business Liverpool have done has, has been excellent, I think, in, t- in general in terms of... I know Adam has had some criticism this season, but I'd say that you know he played a big part in getting Liverpool in the Champions League last season. Obviously, Mane and Salah, massive successes... Um, so far, you know, Matip, again, someone who's had a bit of stick at times this season, but I'd argue that was a very shrewd move to get him in on a free transfer. Um, I'd say you know, my issue would be, and it was the same last summer, the same in January, and the same this summer, that they didn't do enough business to ensure they had sufficient depth to, to cope with the challenges ahead. Um, but one positive, I'd say, it would be that, that it, the other thing that's different under Klopp to Rodgers is there is no whispers about committee signings or managerial signings or anything like that. You know, we know that you know, Klopp, I think, was quite open to say someone about like, Solanke this summer, said that you know, Solanke was put to him. You know, I think he even said he hadn't actually seen him play. He was struggling to find DVDs of him. But it, you know, it's, there's no hint or anything of players being brought in that the manager doesn't fancy. Um, and that is a welcome switch from, from what, what, the, what, it was, what it was like under the previous regime where... It was painful at times where it was, you know, so clear that the manager, you know, he was responsible for certain picks, but other players came in that was that were a fudge really, where you know he didn't get the one he wanted, so you know he ended up getting someone that was way down the list. There was, yeah, there was, there, there was the chance for that situation to get even more confused with the appointment of Michael Edwards as sporting director, and I think it's a, basically says it's a sign that this is very clearly a, a Jurgen Klopp-driven transfer policy. That, that hasn't happened, and it's obvious that Michael Edwards, who's in charge of all the nitty-bitty stuff about trying to get deals done, is very much working to a script provided by Jurgen Klopp. Now, you mentioned before, Andy, about time, and Simran Singh has written in, and he's basically said, the problem we have as modern-day fans is that we want results now, and I feel many fans are constantly looking at what's happening in Manchester, which is always a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, however, the harsh reality is we are far behind what they're doing, and to get to that level takes time unless we spend that type of money we should give him time. Let's not forget we're only seven games have been played this season. Klopp will turn this around. So I'll start with you, Paul. I mean, do you believe Klopp is being victim of the fan, modern-day fan, going, right, we want success right now, simply because everybody analyses everything oh, to okay. within an inch of its life? Oh. Whereas in the past it would be like, oh, they've drawn this game, that's not a bad result, let's go on to the next one. Now it's like, and we're as guilty as doing it as everybody else. Just, of course, just yeah. 100%. Um, that, that's a very reasonable argument. Um, I think now, I was saying it the other day, I think it might have been to Joe Rimmer, you know, Liverpool only seem to be as good as the last game or the last half hour or, you know, the last ten minutes if they conceded. It is now just, just like a, a strange thing. I think social media's got, got a big thing to, to, to play in it and because, it, you know, part of my role is to basically stay on that, I, I see most of it. Um, it's just, just shouting into the wind and every, every, every slight mistake or, you know, every pass that goes astray and it... it you know, there is, there is more. I think more people need to kind of take a step back and, and realise that you know, um, one win in seven isn't great, but it isn't. You know, it, it's not the worst run of form. It's uh, you know, I, I believe Klopp will, will turn this around, and, and you know, turn it around as in <coughs> it isn't something that's threatening to the rail the season completely. It's just you know a little bit of a blip. And Liverpool will will come after this. I mean, it's like my my dad always has a few football phrases, and one of them is nobody ever remembers the first half. It basically mean that whenever you come out of the game, you're thinking of what happened 
in the last as Paul says yeah. in the last half an hour and that's basically just been yeah. now converted to an entire season so it's become well, that's not good the way Liverpool have been playing <laughs> second half <laughs> that, that could be sort of if you look at that in terms of the season as well because I think the way Liverpool started last season compared to how they finished it if, if those would have been reversed you know Liverpool were hammering teams out to sight early on in the season if they'd have been doing that in April March May it would have been like you know look, what, look at what Jürgen Klopp's doing at Liverpool this is incredible it just so happened that he was putting teams of sort of fours and fives back in August and September. Well, that, that's a good point, actually, because we could be doing this... We could have been doing this... Uh, the, the results this season being the other way around, where Liverpool won one of the first seven, then won four in a row, and it'd be like, oh, everything's great. Yeah, I mean, this is why you've got to be very careful not to make knee-jerk judgments, is it? And there's a situation going into the Man United game where if we lose, and that's perfectly possible, you know, they're, they're, they're flying at the moment... Uh, and a Liverpool Man United game is generally, you know, over the decades has been, you know, hard to call. Um, you could lose and go what, 10 points, effectively 11 if you count the goal difference, but 10 points behind United, and there'll be people calling for, for Jurgen Klopp to go, seasons over, blah, blah, blah. Do you really think there will be people? Well, there are, there are people doing it already with, with seven points behind. So, so <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, lose okay, to United well, this, at this home, gets, and that this, will happen. This, but this, this thing is, gets to the point then, what we're going to talk about is that. Why are these people, as as Simran said, why are these people coming to these conclusions straight away? Is it because they're just scared that United or City or whoever is just going to improve and improve and improve even further? Well, it's frustration because Liverpool fans have, you know, are desperate are desperate for the club to be challenging for a league title. We've we've all waited a long time for it, and you know the, those people who will be critical and and some will suggest Klopp. Cop should be replaced if we if we were to lose that game at Anfield. Probably the exact same people will be ready to go. We can challenge for the league. We're only four points behind if we win the game, and and it's not. So the the judgment is very based, you know, on game to game, as Paul was saying. And what you've got to take is, I think, is a is a clearer long term approach of, uh, and it comes back to the very, you know, first bit that we had from Russ, you know, if we judge those two years, that the tra- trajectory has generally been an upward one. And I speak as someone who felt that they got rid of Brendan Rodgers too early. And because I, I felt that he should either have gone after Stoke mm. or or they should they, they they backed him, gave him some money, and then they gave him was it eight games Percy at the start of, of two thousand yep. 15, 16 seasons. So, so, so I felt they were wrong, but uh, they took the chance to get Klopp. Uh, as I think somebody said, an elite manager, as, as Paul said, and I still think he's an elite manager. I think he's under pressure, and I think the way we see them, we mentioned in the in the, in the post Newcastle pod on Monday, that I think you're starting to see the the Liverpool pressure show <laughs> on him in the set in 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 the touchline, aren't we? And he needs to step back from that. And take himself out of the bubble. Don't worry about what journalists are saying or anybody else, and just come back to his beliefs in his football. And that will that will take him. And I'm not inclined to think that he won't be a manager who will do that. I just think you can see a little bit, in fact, a lot of tension in him now. And you know he needs to step away from that. And that's why I thought the break was the best thing. But long term, I feel the club remains on a, on a I'm not book over. And I know people will be listening to this pod and think it's, you know, you're far, you know, that 
needs to be a shake-up, but you haven't done. I mean, there is an issue about, and it comes comes back to what we were talking to James about in terms of the transfer market and what we've done and what we haven't done, in that with, with FSG, Klopp has always appeared happy with what they've given him to spend, but there still doesn't seem to be a huge ability to just go and get someone spare do you know what I mean? In the sense that we know he wants Virgil van Dijk and he didn't want appear to want plan B or he said they watched 500 of them or whatever and they weren't good enough or whatever he said. But maybe just get one, you know, spend a decent amount of money and get one spare that might help until the day when we might get van Dijk. And there still doesn't seem to be a huge slack in the system for that. Well, he'd argue he's done that in midfield with oxlade Chamberlain, wouldn't he? To cover four positions, as he said, mm. and look, all of them, all of us, and that's not working out great at the moment. Now that it's very early days, and hopefully, you know, he's playing for England tonight, and hopefully that'll help help him kickstart his his season. But um, I do, I do. If if I have a criticism of Klopp in the two years, is that I feel it's probably relevant, being as I would just come back from Newcastle, but maybe could do with a little bit of Rafa in him in terms of no one. No one could argue more with a football team's hierarchy than Rafa. Well, I think Klopp's maybe sometimes a bit too accepting of what what he's given. Now, Rafa's probably the only one of recent Liverpool managers who's got to this two-year period, this two-year anniversary, and then he's managed to then kick on again with his teams because you look at it, and two years for Rodgers was 2014, and that's when things started to go wrong in that summer. You know, Dalglish and Hodgson didn't get to two years. Benitez, two years was 2006. He didn't win anything after that. Well, that's true. But he did get to a Champions League final yeah. and, ch- and come second in the league. league. Yeah. Which, if they did that now, would be you know they'd say that's fantastic. Yeah. Right, so his, his best side was still to come, wasn't yeah, it? That's, yeah, that's exactly. the better way of saying what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Is that it seems that these Liverpool managers they do get to a certain point recently, and then it all seems to fall apart for them, or they don't even get to that point. Yeah, I, but I don't. I don't get the sense that. The, that that will happen with Klopp. Mm. I think you know he he's got that security of what well, he's on a six-year contract. Last year, you know, he, he's he's you know he's so much FSG's man. You know, he was the one, he was the one they wanted. You know, before they they'd have given him the job before Rogers if they could have got him then. Um, you know, I think the main reason that Rogers probably kept his job on the back of the of the the thrashing at Stoke that. The end of the previous season was because Klopp wasn't available at that stage either. So he um, this, he always knew this was like a long-term thing that he was taking on. And as we said, you know, he's, he, without a pre-season and with someone else's players, he got Liverpool to two cup finals. Then in his first full season, he got Liverpool back in the Champions League, which you know, yeah, there was no trophy at stake, but you know that that was a massive achievement. And and even even so far this season, I don't think. I think a lot of the frustration, especially from, you know, we talk about people wanting Klopp out. Well, I, I, I haven't met anyone who wants Klopp out in terms of people that go to the games. And, well, I've and said this, this myself, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's just a ludicrous uh, opinion to have, isn't it? Um, because, you know, I think the frustration, most people I speak to, stems from the fact Liverpool have actually played really well for most of this season, yeah. but haven't turned that into, into results. And that's very different than looking like a run of the ship and a mess, which is what they were, you know, probably the last six, seven months under under Brendan Rodgers. So, yeah, I, I, I still think there's a lot to be optimistic about. I think the big thing this season will be whether 
because I think going forward, you know, when when Salah, Mane, Coutinho, and Firmino click, those four are capable of doing damage that will beat any certainly any team in the Premier League and most teams in Europe. It's just a question of whether they can do sufficient damage to to paper over the weaknesses at the other end because you know certainly until January uh, you know I don't think anyone seriously thinks Liverpool are going to be able to tighten up that much defensively. Now speaking of Rafa, John Varga responded to to the question that Andy put out earlier this week. And he mentions Rafa and he says Rafa was great for Liverpool, but those who are nostalgic for the Rafa era may be two things to ponder here. For all his supposed clean sheets, it took Benitez five seasons to build a team that could seriously compete for the title, and that was before Man City became a mega-rich club. Secondly, are people forgotten how the cop used to chant attack, attack, attack to encourage Liverpool forward from the defensive bastion and to ditch the risk-averse mentality? I presumably he's thinking of in the, the title-challenging season, Fulham at home and West Ham at home, which I think both finished nil-nil. Uh, so Andy, what what do you make of that? I mean, because obviously that's the comparison you mentioned. He needs a bit of Rafa in him. How much? What percentage of Rafa does he need? In? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we can say. But certainly there were there are people who would who would feel that if you had a one off game that you wanted to win, and that it was, you know, and this is an interesting way to compare managers. If you had a one one off game you, you needed to win to win a trophy or to for, for something really important in your own life and you could choose Rafa to manage your team or Klopp I mean I'm picking Rafa every okay. time well, I'll, I'll let, you, that you, round the table I'll let you continue with that but again John then carries on and says for those who point out Rafa's two wonderful trophies please bear in mind both games finished three all you can see it's six goals and they won them both on penalty shootouts which is hardly convincing and he points out that in Klopp's two finals, the club actually only conceded four goals, but ended up winning nothing. Okay, one of them was on penalties. Yeah, I mean, finals, are, finals are finals. Anything can happen. But I know what you're, but, to, know what you're saying. In terms of what I'm yeah. saying about, but then if you, if I'm a paying fan, paying seven hundred and thirty-eight quid, I think my season ticket is, and going to watch the team every other week, whose football would I rather be watching? I'd pick Klopp every time, you know, because I enjoy. Going to the match more. There was there was a few times in the Rafa era where I went to Anfield out of habit because that's what I did on on a weekend or whatever, and out of out of belonging to of a sense of belonging of being that's a fan of the club. That's that's the they, anyway, they, yeah. they do. But but there's a, there's other times when you're going along to the ground when you're expecting more. And I think most times I go to Klopp. I'd, Team, I do expect more. I expected more when Rogers had had that team absolutely firing, and um, you know, so everything does come down to a balance. And what Klopp's desperately striving for is to find a balance of this, uh, you know, attacking core that he's got, but being able to shore up the back sufficiently that the damage that he does at one end isn't isn't ruined by. Um, by what's happening at the other. Okay, well, we'll put the question out then to you that Andy's posed that. So, James. Just two questions. One, it's a big final. Who do you want as Liverpool's manager, uh, Benitez or Klopp? <laughs> um, just, just Benitez or Klopp? Well, I th- yeah. In terms of in terms of some but, kind of tactical master plan yeah. that will that get you over the line, then you'd have to say Benitez on his then, record. And, but but then if you had to pay a season ticket yeah, to go and watch a team, a hundred percent Klopp. Yeah. So what are we what are we saying here then? Are we saying that Klopp's teams are great to watch, but I wouldn't fancy him winning a trophy with Liverpool? No, I don't know because I, I think you can win. I think you can win trophies this way, as you said. You know, they weren't what you know the, the league, the league cup final against yeah. Man City. 
you know that you know, Liverpool could you know I think Origi missed an absolute sit to win to win that game. Um, was it an extra time? I think it was, and obviously penalties is an absolute lottery. Uh, same with the you know you, I, I don't go along with the idea that Klopp is just like some absolute maverick who just goes gung ho because I think there was loads of games last season where say Man City at home in the in the league was one where that was like a performance of like real control. It didn't, didn't just go, you know, Liverpool, yeah, they got the early goal. But then the, the way the organisation of that and the way they kept City at bay, I think City had some like 70% possession or something ridiculous, showed that they can play that, that way. And obviously the European run to the final in Basel in his first season, you know, there was numerous examples of that, you know, away to Villarreal until they leaked the late goal. Know, very composed and controlled, and then blitzed them, obviously, at Anfield. So, yeah, I think, I, I, understand, that, I understand that school of thought, but it's not quite as black and white as that. OK, same two-part question to you then, Paul. Big game, who do you want as manager, Benitez or Klopp? And second part, who are you handing over your season ticket money to go and watch a Klopp team or a Benitez team? Um, I think the stick that used to be Klopp with is the defence, and I think the stick that should be used to, to be baffled with now it is his attack, you know, he had Fernando Torres and then beneath him was David and Go. Brought in Robbie Keane, got rid of him after four months. Um so the question is that the last overclocked defensively, they might have been asked over Benitez back in two thousand and and whenever it was. But um I've got to agree with, with you two gents. Um I I'd say I'd back uh, Benitez to, to nullify um the opposition for one game only in the final because finals are very rarely processions anyway. Um, so they decide by the finest margins, which I think Benitez is, excels in. And uh, season ticket wise, Klopp. Uh, next question then, Will Sweeney, who I think he's he kind of gets to the heart of why so many fans are a little bit annoyed. He says, maybe the reason I'm frustrated at the minute, along with other fans, is that we know what this team can do. We really believe we're a better team than we have been the last few weeks. I really want Klopp to do well, and I believe that he will, Andy. Uh, I, I think what Will's just said there, I think that sums up a vast amount of fan opinion and why they're frustrated because because they can see they can as you know we'll put it perfectly I, I can't put it any better they can see what this team can do and so the fact that one week it emerges and another week potentially against a, a weaker opponent it doesn't is a frustration for everybody and you know it's all hopefully it's all part of just a learning process for Klopp for the squad, we have had a couple of significant, you know, injuries this season. We, we've given zero credit or mitigation in terms of missing Klein and Lalana, um, which tells you that our feeling is that the squad's strong enough to cope with that. No one said, oh, you know, if that had happened in certain other seasons, we'd have been going, you know, we're desperately waiting for them to come back. There's been no mitigation in those times because the squad is better. Money was spent to make the squad better, and. Um, I think that you know Will's right. That's why people are frustrated that that they know that this team has a good enough top level in it to potentially do damage. I mean, I think I said in a pod a few weeks back, start of the season maybe, that I felt Liverpool could go deep in the Champions League this season. Now, looking at that from a perspective of one win in seven, and you know not beating Sevilla or Spartak, who wouldn't be. You know, Sevilla maybe, but Spartak certainly wouldn't be regarded as one of the competition's brighter lights. Um, that doesn't look particularly, a, you know, a great suggestion. 
But I'd probably stick with it in the sense that I can't see Liverpool not getting out of the group and I can't see them, you know, you're always dependent on the draw, but I can see plenty of teams not wanting to play Liverpool in that round of 16. So there is this sort of contradiction at the heart of Liverpool of being, you know, fearing that they won't be able to beat the worst team in the Premier League, but potentially being able to go toe-to-toe with Europe's finest. And that, that's, that's where we are. Paul, are you frustrated more than anything else if you were a Liverpool fan watching them play at the moment because you know that they're capable of more? Yeah, I don't think they're playing particularly poorly in, in any one game, are they? I think it's it's been a familiar tale of, of dominating without you know converting the chances. But I think of Liverpool's problems of scoring goals this season, I think you know fans can put their feet up and win them for a good season because I think sooner or later the title turn and they'll start finishing those chances and and get back to beating teams you know threes and fours like like they have done in the in the past. Um, I think that the Achilles heel is obviously at the back and. You know that will remain until January at the very least. Um, but um, you know, it, it's as as I mentioned before, it isn't isn't the worst run. You know, there's only one Premier League defeat in in, in these games, and okay, it was only waved the white flag at City, but um, you know, I, I still fancy Liverpool to be you know pushing for for the top four. I mean, James, you are the world's most positive man when it <laughs> comes to Liverpool, as anybody who listens to the podcast and the rarer times that you actually join us will know. But have you been getting a little bit frustrated watching them? Because obviously you see them more than, than any of us. You, you see them in the flesh. You see what they're doing and what they're not doing and what they should be doing. Yeah, I think I think, I think think one of the things that frustrates me more than anything is when you kind of hear people say or read about how it's, you know, that the, the issues defensively are just a, a natural outcome of Klopp's attacking brand of football. And I think, I just don't think that stands up to scrutiny when you look at the type of goals Liverpool are conceding. Because I think... Was it twenty in twelve games in all competitions so far this season? Which, obviously, that stat is skewed a bit by you know what happened after Mane sending off at Man City. But by and large, most of those goals have been down to individual errors. Um, you know, you look at you look at the goal. You know, the, at Newcastle last weekend was, you know, just farcical. You know, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's one thing you can kind of accept getting carved apart by De Bruyne threading the ball through to Aguero with his pace and intelligent movement. But when you've when Shelby's given, you know, the freedom of the centre of St James's to play a simple ball through for Yozalu who's slower than you Ian. Um, and for him to I'm choosing to, to ignore that. For him Ian's, to be able to Ian's quite fast, especially when I'm choosing <laughs> I, I can, so can, I can run backwards yeah. and forget away from Andy. So yeah, I think I think that's the annoyance, the fact that I I don't I don't get the sense at all that this this issue is linked to the style of play, and that you know you. you but surely the goal you've just described there is linked to the style of not, play. Not really, because he's because he, they should. Why? Why? On earth they are winning both. one nil at Newcastle. Winning one nil at Newcastle, they shouldn't ever be in a position whereby. Well, well it's two midf- on one, and the mid but the midfield has gone missing, and the defence is that's but no, that's, that's but, four or five individual errors. But the other thing that Pierce hasn't mentioned there, but. Sorry, adds yeah. to his point is the fact the problems from set pieces yeah. now, you're, not, you're, you're not being start, caught out at set pieces but because enough, you've got, weeks, you've got, you've got six, six players bombing forward you've, you've, with a set piece you've got the time to set up now specifically the problem hasn't been set pieces but second balls after set pieces hasn't it because we've been defending yeah. the first ball at set pieces pretty well and that's why I was coming up in the uh, in, in the car on Sunday listening to the last half an hour of the game and I think it was um it's either Alan Shearer or Ian Wright uh, on BBC Five Live, basically going on about how it was obvious that Liverpool didn't do any work on set piece 
defending and and stuff like this. Uh, I think it was because uh, the Diami chance late on at Newcastle mm. when he oh, was yeah. found himself. See, that was their only corner of the game as well, and they yeah. nearly scored. <laughs> yeah, they nearly scored. One, which, and, but, but I mean, I saw what they were trying to get at, but it was absolute nonsense. We, we, we you know, it's perfectly clear. Klopp's spoken about days that they yeah, spent yeah. doing just set piece defending, and I know that I think it was in the run into West Brom last year or one of those games where yeah, yeah. they did. They did an extra day on set-piece defending. The work goes in. Maybe people say it's not enough. You should be doing the whole week on it or whatever. But there is work being done. That's that's the other reason why you can see Klopp virtually tearing his hair out at times. Because clearly the players should know better than than some of the, the things they're doing. Like on the Shelby through ball, as he said. You've got one centre-half who was thinking of stepping up wasn't there and then the yeah. other one was thinking of stepping back and so there was no communication between the two so I don't I don't agree that, that, that there can't be a you know I agree with James I think that, that there can be a balance between you know attack and defend I know someone you know better judges than us Carr has spoken about questioning whether any centre half will be able to produce you know an absolute sort of master class being left Isolated at times in the way Klopp's, Klopp pushes his fullbacks forward, but I don't think we need necessarily a defensive masterclass. We just need that the attack's doing enough damage that on that the chances of breaking are kept to a minimum, and that that our centre halves are good enough that a high percentage of those opportunities on the break that are created that the centre half deals with. It's not going to deal with them all because that that's the situation, but. It's getting to that balance where we're, we're defending enough of them well enough that we're winning enough games. Now, Lee Curtis talks here about something that, from my point of view, I understand where he's coming from, but I've never, ever, ever really got this. I'll just read it out to you and you tell me what you think. He's talking about Klopp and he says, I don't think there's a better manager out there in terms of fitting the club's identity. And clearly top players, top players want to play for him because of his reputation and standing within the game. Okay, great. Now, I know he means that as a compliment. But what? Hang on. What, what's Liverpool's identity? What is Liverpool's identity? Because Liverpool surely is about winning, winning stuff. And if your manager is somebody who's going to win stuff, yeah. But Klopp is still. I think what I'm saying is that yeah. there's some fans who I know who would say, oh, "I'd never want Mourinho to be Liverpool manager." And they say, "Well, why not? Just because he doesn't fit the the clubs, you know, the clubs yeah. image. But what the image of actually winning stuff." I think that's kind of harking back to to the days of, of yesterday with Bill Shankly on the. You know, steps well, okay, I mean, my, my, my dad used to, used to go and watch the band when he was a lot younger. He says he remembers one season when Liverpool played, Shankly was the manager, and Liverpool finished something like, I don't know, second or third. But they, they drew something like 14 away games, and eight of them were nil-nil. So can you imagine that happening now? What the, what I know, they, but I'll just take a nil-nil. You see what I'm saying there? Is that I think it's, it goes back to what uh, the previous person said about Rafa when he was talking about reviewing Rafa, remember this. And I think people sometimes forget all of that. And because it's been so long since Liverpool actually were consistently winning things, is that people don't actually know what the club's identity is. Everyone's got like this, this vision of Liverpool, you'll never walk alone, all the flags and all of this. Well, it's actually, yeah, that's great, but that all comes on the back of actually winning stuff. And to win stuff, you have to get down to, as you said, the nitty-gritty. I think, I think the reason that people think the Klopp's a good fit is that I think... Because he shouts someone, a lot and he's passionate. No, no, but it's because, I'm being, I'm playing a bit it's because there's, there's a connection between him and the yeah. crowd, isn't there? Yeah. And 
It's but if somebody comes club. in and wins stuff, aren't they going to have a connection with the fans as well? Yeah. Because Rafa, Rafa was an interesting case of point. He sometimes comes across as being quite cold whenever you have, you have dealings with him, and the players say that, but he's got a tremendous... Well, but by the time Rafa left, there was obviously a split in the fan base over Rafa, wasn't there? And, yeah. and you know, that was, that was obvious for everyone to see. But you, in terms of Klopp and where he's at, you only have to look at, at the sideline at Crystal Palace at the moment and, and, and see you know, Roy Hodgson. I mean, he went to... Yeah, I know he's been dealt bad hand at Crystal Palace at this stage but they got thumped was it 4-0 at United the other week last last weekend was it 4 it's I think four it was yeah. Lukaku got the 4th of yeah. 4 and, was it? and the beaming smile on him as he shook um, Mourinho's hand was like it was like nothing had, nothing had happened that could have what was going to influence his evening now I want my manager to be sick as a dog at that point and and I, and I use Hodgson Advisedly, because that that's a situation we were in only a few years ago, and for those who 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 want a knee-jerk reaction over a, a difficult period for Klopp, well, I'm sorry, but we this is a manager who can deliver. We know he can deliver. He's got a track record of delivery, albeit in Germany, and I I, I think he, as Paul said, we're, we're, we are. Lucky to have him, and the potential, the potential successors. I'm not, I'm not seeing them queuing up, and I don't, I don't think fans are are looking. Percy said, I don't think anyone's out there is looking to to have him replaced, apart from, you know, the social media bubble. Yeah, he's not infallible, is he? But certainly, better the devil, you know. Um, I couldn't think of anyone off the top of my head that you'd rather have. In the, in the dugout than, than Clark. Guardiola in the Premier League, the yeah. only one who. In terms of like who Liverpool could attract. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you want a manager that well, you, you've got a real affinity to, and I think that's why, that's why fans are taking, you know, most fans are taking Klopp to their hearts because they, they know, you know, he, he's a standard bearer for the club in the same way as Benitez was. Um, you know, he, he he defends their corner when you know other people come out and say stuff against them, um, and he's he's very honest and genuine, and I think that's. A big thing that Liverpool, you know, you don't. Also, you don't. You don't want to have a manager you feel as if is just passing through. I think with Klopp, you feel as if he's bought into everything about Liverpool in terms of the, the, the history and the traditions, and you know, he's you know, he's put down roots here. He's committed himself for the long term. Um, yeah, and I think, I think, yeah, I think most Liverpool fans think Liverpool are lucky to to have him, and I don't think anything over the last two years has, has changed that. That that real thing, Piers, you just mentioned. I think that was one of the things that Rogers' critics didn't like about him. Was it that they felt there was something a little bit fake about him? Mm, when, he was insincere. Yeah, yeah. slightly slightly insincere. You know, or, or you know, brilliant perform, blah blah. And you you started after a certain period. You thought, I'm not, I'm not. You know, outstanding was his big one, wasn't it, Brendan? You always just yeah. say that he, he was outstanding. And you knew from watching the game, he, well, he clearly wasn't outstanding. He was slightly better than average and that got us the result or whatever. And people were starting to think that. Now, I think just in the last few weeks, people have started to hear Klopp descend into mumbo-jumbo a little bit. Where, where, <laughs> where previously, I think his thought processes have been absolutely crystal clear. Even if you didn't always agree with him, you could see why he said things. Just a couple of times recently, I've thought to myself, he's confused himself there with his arguments. He 
you know, uh, I think, <coughs> was it Juliet Farrington from the BBC, um, questioned an answer he gave the other, you know, the other day by saying, well, hang on, didn't you say at the last press conference something different, the exact opposite, and Klopp said, oh, you, you were listening, were you, you know, so I, I think he, he is, because of the pressure and because of this run of results, I think he's starting, there was a certain cloudiness to his thought, but I think what we know of him and his track record suggests that he will swiftly, and this is why I think the break has come perfectly, I think maybe he needed it as well, and, you know, to, to redefine what he wants from the team and the squad and, and where they're going. Okay, final questions then. I'll start with you, Paul, to give these two time to think of their answer. Um, two questions. First one, two years, Jurgen Klopp, how would you rate his reign out of ten? And second question, do you still see Jurgen Klopp being at Liverpool in another two years? Out of ten, um, I, I might give it a, a, a seven. I think um, qualifying for the Champions League was probably done at, at its, its earliest possible stage. I think that the team he inherited was, obviously wasn't his and Getting to two cup finals was, you know, he done really well to do that, but it wasn't his team. So I think by the time he's had a chance to, to assess what he wants to do with it and, and go forward, in his first full season, he's qualified for the, for the Champions League. And, you know, there's six teams in the Premier League now who are looking to do that with, with Everton, who, you know, think they've got a chance as well. So it's seven. So I think to do that was good. So I'll give him a seven on that. But I think overall, I do think he is the man for Liverpool. I think uh, FSG pulled off something of a masterstroke, really, because I remember. Chelsea getting beat by Southampton the day before Rodgers was sacked and Jose Mourinho was only asked one question on Sky it was like a seven minute monologue and it was just like they're in trouble they're, they're the champions and they're going off the rails and FSG have seen that and thought right we need to get Klopp in now before Chelsea pinch him so I think that was a very shrewd move by them and I think long term it will be a, a, the right decision I think it is currently as well I think my answer will be I think I'd give, them eight, give him eight out of ten because I think he's an awful lot nearer to having a very good team than a lot of people think. I don't think it needs that much work, to be honest, which, of course, is very positive for me, has to be said. It's very I, positive I, for it you, is, yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. to see. Yeah. Yes, and he's definitely going to be in two years. He's definitely going to be in two years. See, I, I, I would give him... I don't know, we, we don't... In our ratings, we tend not to do halves, do we? But I, I'm a seven-and-a-half rising to an eight-ish. But I, I wouldn't... Because I think he's an emotional character... More he's a very loyal character. He is a very loyal character. Seven and seven. Yeah. And I think, he, I think he sees a very clear idea of... I think he's contracted 2022, isn't he, James? Yeah, I can see him doing seven years at Liverpool and handing the reins on to Steven Gerrard. I think he's clearly got a thing in his, hmm. in his mind that he's going to... But to, will, will he be there then to hand them on? Yeah, or well, in two years' is, time will he be there? Well, this is the thing... I, it's it's I, yes or no? <laughs> I'm going to say yes... But I, I am putting a caveat of nothing would surprise me in terms of his, it, you know, his emotions and, you know, if if there were to be, you know, if this, you know, even if this run were to continue for another month and the rumblings grew and grew and grew, I don't, I think he's someone who thrives off people who support him and all being together in it. And if I think if he ever got the suggestion that there was a vibe that he wasn't wanted, I think he'd be off to the Black Forest. Back to the Black Forest as quick as you can say. Some cake. James. That's what I'm thinking. I'm starting I think he's definitely been stung a bit already this season by the by the negativity and, and criticism I think that's been aimed at him. I think that's, that's just been, from your match reports. Yeah, yeah, I think that's been pretty clear from you know, having, having seen him 
a couple of times a week because, you know, I think even just, you know, he's referenced it a couple of times, that the, the atmosphere at Amford at times. I think he, and, and he's, he's mentioned it himself about, you know, he feels that weight of, of expectation from the fans that he knows dates back the best part of, of three decades. And, you know, and he, and he senses that, you know, fans are, are that desperate for success that the second they, they feel as if it's slipping away for another year, you know, that you, you, you've almost feel that you know, emotion inside the stadium. And I think there's been a few, like he, you know, he name checked, I think the kind of the howls when Carrius dwelt on the ball for a bit too long, a few weeks back. And I think there was another one, I think it was in the build up to, I think it was when Henderson and Moreno played a one, two and created the goal for Firmino against Sevilla. Was that the goal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And I think if you, if you look back then, I think Henderson, the people were screaming at Henderson to shoot. Yeah. And the, the second he didn't shoot and he kind of, you know, shaped it back onto his his left or whatever, and, and you know, and and again, you know, there was, I think, and, and the clock, those things really kind of strike home with him. You know, that that kind of feeling, well, because he's so much about unity and using the power of everyone as one against the opposition. So I think, yeah, it's it's. I think I think also it's opened his eyes to, to the whatever challenge he thought he was taking on two years ago. I think he now thinks. Knows it's actually a lot bigger. So out of ten, out of ten, eight out of ten. I agree with you. Um, But I still think, for all the frustration around at the moment, that um, this will prove just to be a blip, and one hundred percent, he'll still be Liverpool manager in twenty nineteen. Okay, thank you, boys, for your views. Join us next time for our next Liverpool Blood Red podcast. Cheerio.